0: Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Mora McCormick-Rivera, CMO at Qualified. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Mora leads the growth and expansion of the business's marketing and demand generation efforts. Since joining in 2019, Mora launched three major products, led the development of their brand and created the Demand Gen Visionaries podcast. Under her leadership, Qualified has seen record levels of web traffic, follower growth, and pipeline generation. In this episode, Mora shares her insights into Qualified's pipeline revolution, creating thought leadership content to build awareness, and how to keep a pulse on conversations to engage buyers. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline
1: generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals buying intent and
0: having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Maura McCormick-Rivera, CMO at Qualified, and your host, Ian Faison.
1: Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a very special guest. Maura, how are you?
2: I'm good, Ian. How are you? I'm excited to be here.
1: Excited to have you. After all this time, after so much love and appreciation for our good friends at Qualified, we finally landed you on the show. I just, I'm beside myself with joy.
2: It's fun to be on the other side. It's kind of exciting.
1: I know. And surreal at the same time. Obviously, our listeners know Qualified has been our presenting partner from day one of this show, as I say all the time. And we love you all dearly. But we've never got inside the inner workings of Qualified and your marketing strategy and all the cool stuff that you're working on. Why not now? Why not us? And let's start off with what was your first job in DemandGen?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I've always been in some sort of marketing role. Ever since I was little, I did student council. I was a comms major in college. I feel like I've always been attracted to the idea of getting people excited about something, whether it's a a school dance or a program or um, some event that we're putting on. And then my first job out of college was at a little company called Salesforce, You might have heard of it. And I stumbled into the opportunity to work at Salesforce, but it wasn't in a marketing capacity. It was in a different department. And about a month into working at Salesforce, I went to Dreamforce and I looked around and first was like, is this how all work conferences are? This is pretty cool. There's Metallica playing or Stevie Wonder. But I thought to myself, I want to be part of the team that puts this on. I want to be part of the team that can tell these really incredible stories, that can do these incredible product demos, that can get a community excited and bring them together from around the world. And so Salesforce and the Dreamforce experience is what brought me into the marketing world. And less than a year into my work at Salesforce, I I joined the marketing team. And that was where I started my official marketing career. And I got to wear many different hats in the marketing org. So it was just almost like a MBA program. I was just in it and got to learn from some of the best and brightest minds in marketing. And that set me on my path to where I am today.
1: And where you are today is CMO of Qualified. So tell us a little bit about where you all are at and what it means to be CMO of Qualified.
2: Yeah. So Qualified is a pipeline generation platform and we're purpose-built for Salesforce customers. So we have two key products. We have a conversational sales and marketing product, and then we have a buyer intent product. And what that all means is we help companies better leverage their website, the corporate website, to really understand who's on their site, have real-time conversations with those people, and generate more pipeline faster. We recently went to market with an even bigger vision called the Pipeline Cloud. So we are the Pipeline Cloud for Salesforce customers. We are this modern motion for CMOs, CROs, revenue ops leaders to engage with buyers and generate pipeline. And as CMO, I oversee our marketing team. We are a fast-growing team. I've been here for a couple years, so I was marketer number one at Qualified. So way back in the day when we started Demand Gen Visionaries together, you've seen it from the beginning, but fast forward a few years and we have a couple hundred employees. We are the number one solution on the Salesforce App Exchange, and I'm overseeing our marketing team, which does everything from content and communications to product marketing, to Demand Gen, to creative. And so that's kind of our ragtag team and I'm super proud of, of the brand that we're building.
1: And what a brand it is. You know, it's funny. I was talking to one of the folks on our team earlier today, and we were talking about just B2B marketing and how stale and boring it sometimes is. And we were just marveling at how awesome Qualified's brand is. So we're going to get into that a little bit because I think uh, I want to hear how you think about brand. We're old pals, old hat at this point, but it's just never ceases to amaze me that whenever I want to send an example of what right looks like that we shoot him over to qualified.com. All right, let's... Go to the trust tree.
0: With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not?
1: Where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Tell me a little bit about Qualified's customers.
2: Yeah, so we serve customers that use Salesforce, so that gives us an immediate focus. But the crazy thing is, Most B2B companies around the world do use Salesforce. So we serve B2B companies who use Salesforce, mid-market companies, usually in the high-tech space, but we have other customers outside of that industry. And our buyer is a VP of Demand Gen or a CMO. So it's kind of fun because we're selling to marketers. And as a marketer, that makes life a little bit more fun. So that's who we're going after.
1: And... I'm curious, you just had a huge announcement about the company. You have two products now. Obviously, that's a bit of a change going from one product to two different personas. How do you think about that?
2: You know what? It hasn't all been super straightforward or we haven't always known the answer. When we first started as a company, we emerged with our conversational sales and marketing product, which is super sleek. And at the beginning as a company, we just wanted to be really straightforward with who we are and what we did, because we needed people to come to our site and immediately understand how we could help solve their problems, which is connecting buyers and reps on your website in real time. In the fall, we started to feel like, okay, this conversational product is great, but in the midst of us collecting all of this data on website visitors, we also have all of these buyer intent signals. How can we package them up and surface them For our customers. So we released a product called Signals in the fall. And then, cut to today, it's the spring, and we're relaunching as a larger pipeline cloud solution that encompasses those two products. And we took a a crawl, walk, run approach to shifting our messaging, to be honest. We were a little bit nervous to totally swing the pendulum on our messaging when we launched signals in the fall because we hadn't proven the product yet. So we felt like we were just starting to build brand credibility for our conversational product. And we didn't want to erase that and start with something totally new. Over the last few months, our our second product has picked up steam. We've gotten customers using it and successful with it. So now we feel like we're ready to confidently reshape our messaging, uplevel our messaging, but we don't want to forget the flagship product that got us here. So we were just working on a bunch of new things, a new keynote to deliver our corporate message, a new homepage to deliver that message. And we had a lot of debate and discussion on how much do we lean into our flagship product? How do we lean into our new product. How do we speak to the primary buyer for our conversational product? How do we speak to the new buyer for our second product? And I would say we try and be really straightforward in our copy so that we don't confuse people with what our two products do. We've developed brands for each of the products so they look a little bit different and feel a little bit different. And we're still trying to figure out how can we speak to multiple buyers. It was actually much easier and simpler when we had one product, one clear buyer. So we're trying to figure out how do we make that shift in a kind of a gradual way so that we don't just flip the switch and appear like a totally different company because we're
1: not. Yeah. And how does that buying committee look and differ for the two? Who's the end buyer? And then who are the different stakeholders?
2: Yeah. So it's almost like a flip-flop between the two. Our conversational product, our end buyer is a VP of demand, or CMO, because they own the website, they own the pipeline number, but the user is a sales rep. They're somebody who's logged into the app every day. They're trying to meet with buyers via live chat, voice video, have those conversations. Our signals product, which is a buyer intent product, we're selling more to a RevOps leader or a sales leader because they want buying intent data for their sellers. But marketing still involved because more buyer intent that makes sellers more effective at generating pipeline is a good thing too. So we're speaking to the same broad audience for both, but we flip-flop the decision maker and the influencer for each of our products.
1: And how do you organize your team to go after those accounts? What does your marketing team look like at this point?
2: Yeah, so we have a list of target accounts. We have an account-based marketing strategy The only way where our team's currently divvied up between the two products is our product marketing team. We want to have a product marketer who's really responsible or a product marketing team who's responsible for each of our products. But our demand gen team, our content and comms team, our creative team, they're all thinking about the holistic solution and product offering. And then we tag team different projects depending on what we're trying to amplify for each product. But right now we're still holistically focused on moving our solution forward. So we're not as divvied up by product quite yet.
1: And then how do you think about demand? What's your demand strategy as as part of the broader marketing strategy?
2: Yeah, so for us, the website is king, which is probably no surprise, a huge, huge portion of our pipeline comes through the website through using our own product. We call it qualified on qualified. But as we back up and we think about pipe gen for our company, we talk about the different horsemen, if you will. So we have inbound and then we have outbound, which is our outbound sales reps and our account executives Then we have partnerships, everything that we're doing with our channel partners, our technology partners. And we also have referrals, what referrals are coming in through our employees and through our customers. Referrals is a bit harder to scale. Partners has huge opportunity for us. But inbound and outbound is where the bulk of our pipeline comes from. And we actually combined the inbound and outbound horsemen goals, if you will, so that sales and marketing are both working towards one shared metric. Because when we first started, we started to feel that age-old tension, the lovely tension that sales and marketing always feel about attribution and where did this opportunity come from. They saw a campaign. They arrived on our site. They received an outbound email, they came back to the site, they converted there. And we said early on, you know what, we're one team, we have one shared goal, so how can we work together and not get so caught up in the attribution mess? So inbound and outbound is what drives the majority of our pipeline. We have this thing that we call the one-two punch, which is an outbound email. They click through, they arrive on the site, we convert them with a conversation, and that is where a ton of our pipeline comes from. And it's cool because we get to use our own products. So we're starting to use our Signals Buyer Intent product to shape the accounts that we go after out of our target account list. Do the one-two punch; it becomes a one-two-three punch, and that's how we we convert a ton of our pipeline. And it's been super fruitful for us. So we're trying to figure out how can we just double down on that motion. And it's a it's a lot of orchestration between the sales team and the marketing team.
1: And as part of that outbound, you mentioned sales having a portion of that and as part of that outbound motion, and then I'd imagine a large amount of paid advertising is going into this. How do you view those paid avenues?
2: Yeah. So from a paid perspective, ads drive a healthy chunk of pipeline for us. We're focused on, of course, everything from SEM to ABM now. We just started with Metadata. They've been really an awesome platform for us to use. And then we're doing stuff on LinkedIn. So from an ad perspective, we just look at ads really as air cover. How can we create that brand awareness on the channels that we care about? And we're super, super focused on our target accounts. If my mom, God love her, sees an ad, that's great, but that's actually not important to us. We want the CMO at that target account profile that we just talked about, we went them seeing our advertisements. So ads we see as air cover. We have a lot of people who will directly engage with an ad and they'll come to the site and convert right there. But there's also a lot of handoff from ads to outbound to inbound. And it all works together, which is truly the goal of account-based marketing. And outside of advertising, events are huge for us. We went to turn on our events program and then March 2020 hit and we've had to, to rethink everything. But it's been fun over these last few months because events are back and hopefully they're, they're back to stay. And so that helps us a lot from a PipeGen perspective, as does all of the organic traffic that we're getting to our site.
1: Let's go to the playbook.
0: This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game.
1: The playbook is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. You know it's coming, Maura. Those three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items.
2: This is my favorite question of every episode. And I love when uncuttables drops. My uncuttables, number one, it's the website. We spend a huge, huge majority of our time as a marketing organization working on the site. How can we have a really compelling B2B site? How can we make sure that we're always innovating on the creative and the copywriting for our site? But most importantly, how is it optimized for conversion? How can we make sure that when a target buyer arrives at our front door, we're ready to greet them, we're ready to turn them into a real sales conversation and book our next meeting? So the website is king. If we didn't have our website, everything else would crumble. And then beyond the website, video and content are huge for us. Look at this podcast. This has been this wealth. Hey, now. This has been like a wealth of content for us, which has been awesome. And every B2B company needs to be a content machine. Look at Salesforce and Salesforce Plus. Look at all of these incredible B2B companies. I look at Gong. I look at Outreach, and they are just distributing content all day, every day. My LinkedIn feed is blowing up with Sizzle videos and guides and live shows, and all of the Salesforce Studio stuff that they're doing is so, so good. So content is is king. We just rolled out something called Qualified Plus, and we're really doubling down on video this year. We started doing something that we call keynotes, inspired by, I guess, a Dreamforce keynote meets an Apple product release. And those have been really cool for us because we will use a keynote as a way for us to get our message into market. And we've iterated on how we shoot them. We shoot them in this huge green screen studio. We were at John Madden's old studio in the East Bay last week shooting our our most recent keynote. And it helps us get our corporate narrative tight. We shoot these keynotes and we'll have different people from our company deliver different messages. We'll do product demonstrations. And from that keynote, we'll get like 15 different assets from it. So we have sizzle videos for social. We have videos for Qualified Plus. We have demos that we can share in sales cycles. And so video for me will never go away. And I think a lot of that is inspired by my time at Salesforce when I was on the video team. I just have this passion for creating really compelling video assets. And then the last channel or thing I would never cut beyond website and content is LinkedIn. We're selling to sellers and marketers, and I need that channel to get my content in front of these people, to get them engaged. And LinkedIn has just blown up over the last few years. It's not the most fruitful channel in terms of pipeline generation, but I know it's incredibly successful for brand awareness with the target audience that we care about. And so I would never want to get rid of that channel.
1: The LinkedIn thing is so fascinating to me. I see the same stuff. It's not necessarily the most convertible channel all the time, but they did a great job with their ads. And that's like the big difference yeah. is their ad units change significantly. They put some systems in place to reduce the spaminess of LinkedIn a little bit, but their ad units are really viewable. That's a huge, huge bonus because you know, if you're serving them on mobile, you're getting impressions. And that always, to me, was the big problem. If you're serving these, these LinkedIn ads, which are like insanely expensive, you got to know that they're going to people and that they're going to get seen.
2: We have different ads for different types of content, right? We'll use Carousel for certain content. We'll use video ads for other things. We can get super specific on who we target. Maybe we want Salesforce executives to see certain announcements, but we want our target buyers to see others. And it's just a little binge worthy. But I look at LinkedIn a lot, just as much as I look at Instagram, because I like to see what my peers and what my former colleagues are up to. And it keeps me in the know about the world of B2B tech, I can't live without it. And I think our company couldn't live without it.
1: Yeah, I think the, the other thing there too that we've seen with this show and across all the shows that we do at Caspian is that there's a big difference between what we're seeing now, the huge insight is when you post an article that has stock imagery that says like four tips for CMOs, that post is gonna do, I don't know the exact number, but significantly worse than the post that says Scott Holden's four tips to be a better CMO with Scott Holden's face on there, and that post is going to do significantly worse than a video of Scott Holden's four tips. Shout out to Scott!
2: Shout out to Scott. He just came to our company kickoff. We love Scott. Yeah, Holden. he's
1: the best. And that is like the insight where you talk about the algorithm favors video, the user favors seeing people's faces because if you see someone's face that you recognize, you'll stop on it, and. I'm not really interested in some random person wrote about four tips to be a CMO. I'm interested in what Mora's doing. I'm interested in what mm-hmm. Scott's doing. And like, this is, I think the key takeaway for people as they're creating this stuff is like, that is where content is already and it's where it's gonna continue to go.
2: Well, and it's the power of community. I think communities are the future. People are not always going directly to the company to do their research. They're going to their peers. They're connecting with each other in these Slack groups we've set up on LinkedIn. That's how people are learning today. And I think companies need to find a way to inject themselves into the conversation or keep a pulse on the conversation so that they can engage those buyers in a more thoughtful way and fit into their lives versus expecting the buyer to fit into theirs.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that we just have the resources to make that stuff better. like, This is one of the things when we sat down to make this show or to make Inside the Ohana, which is the new show that we just launched that Dan Darcy is hosting about all the inner workings of what's going on at Salesforce, that this type of insider content, for lack of a better term, is so much more consumable. But if those people were left to their own devices, they wouldn't make it. And that's the difference. If you get someone to share an hour of your time, and then you distill those thoughts into an easily digestible format, like that stuff is great. If you were to say, hey, Ian, go write me a thousand words on what it means to be the CEO of a startup, I'd be like, I don't have time for that. So these insights are not getting out in the world. And what you all have done at Qualified is by creating this massive amount of content that speaks to real stuff that's actually going on out in the world and using your team of creatives to sift through that and add in your own insights, add in what you're seeing from the platform. And that's, I think, where the future of content is going is what do you own and you have access to? And then how can you facilitate telling other people's stories better?
2: And we're excited. We just moved into a new office and we're building a little content studio, qualified studios. You can come in and shoot DGB in there, but we're going to keep doubling down On video, we're going to keep doubling down on content because that is how you create awareness. That is how you get people interested in the problems that you're solving, the solution that you have. You need to do thought leadership content in all different mediums to get people hooked and really build that awareness.
1: So we recently just did an episode with Randy from Uberflip, and I was checking out his podcast, and he interviewed a bunch of CMOs and asked them what they're looking for in content. And one one of the CMOs said, I don't want it to be about you that it's like this debits and credits system. And it's like, every time you talk about yourself, you're losing money. Every time you're not, you're, you're gaining it back. And I think that that's like the other thing here is so many people just like want to create content about features and benefits. And it's like, I don't care, you know?
2: (laughs) No, no. You have to tie it back to the problem your audience is facing and make them nod their heads. We just did our Pipeline Cloud keynote and our CEO, Craig, he was talking about this revolution of the modern B2B buyer. And he was talking about the content revolution, which is exactly what we're talking about right now, the privacy revolution, people are more protective of their PII, the communication revolution, everybody wants to interact, one-click, chat, voice, video... And as companies, we need to shift how we meet with buyers and shift how we keep up. And that keynote storytelling was really compelling because it's something that we could all nod our heads to. And then that story teed up how our solution can help solve those problems. But you have to think bigger than yourself. And that's why I love not to just plug demand gen visionaries, but we have this content with these great luminaries on the show, and they're not all customers, and they're not talking about our product. But people want to hear from their peers or people they look up to, and they want to know what are the problems they're facing, what are the solutions they're finding. And that's the best type of content because Qualified is barely ever mentioned within it. But then we're creating a little bit, hopefully, of awareness for our our listeners throughout. And so that's the prime content. Of course, you need bottom of the funnel content. You need best practices. You need demo videos. You need how-tos. But you need to serve that up to really bottom of the funnel readers or listeners or viewers and not expect that top of the funnel people who don't even know who you are want to see that or hear that quite yet. How can you be thought leaders in the space? How can you help people be better at their jobs? And if you can do that, then you'll pull them in and get them more attracted to your brand.
1: So I I have a question for you. What is something that is your most cuttable budget item? What do you think is not working or something that you don't want to invest in?
2: I'm always nervous about webinars, which is funny because I mentioned I used to be on the webinar team at Salesforce. So we're just starting our webinar program finally, because we we have to. It's silly that we've never yeah. done it. I feel like as marketers, we need to try webinars. They're a tried and true channel. We've always resisted doing them, but we know it's the time as we mature as a company. But I am really hesitant about any gated content that requires somebody to be available on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time and to fill out a gate for content that they don't even know or fill out a form for content that they don't even know what they're going to get. So I don't know if I can say I'd cut it since we haven't actually done it yet, but we're just standing it up as a, a bit of a test. I think we need to make content available on demand. I think we need to make it available through different channels, whether it's podcast, video, written, whatever it may be. And I get nervous about those old school tactics to try and capture leads and bait and switch just to get some leads in the door.
1: Yeah. And you have to basically waste the marketing. And that's what always drives me crazy is you have to do all this marketing to send someone to something that doesn't exist yet, right? Exactly. So you're like, if I just had the asset that I was just saying, just watch this right now. But the other side of this is like, I do have some understanding that this is the way that I like to do things and that there are people who need to have a personal trainer so that it forces you to go to the gym. I totally yeah. get that.
2: If you have the calendar invite for a webinar, maybe you'll join. Yeah,
1: exactly. Maybe you'll maybe you'll set the time.
2: Yeah, I've done that at past companies. What we're thinking of doing is on-demand webinars every couple of weeks, but then we're there for live Q&A so people can have that interactivity. And we're not going to gate them. We call it conversational content, so we'll have our content available And we will use our product on the right-hand side for people to interact with us if they want, give us their email if they want, but it won't be a requirement. So it's going to be a bit of a test of a new school, more on-demand, ungated content presentation, if you will.
1: I love it. That's fun. Well, we're going to have to have you back. Time will tell. Yeah. Favorite campaign?
2: Ooh, okay. Our Pipeline Cloud campaign that we just did has been my favorite campaign. It was... An incredibly exciting campaign because we had to build the narrative in the story and we had to build the look and feel and creative for this campaign. And then from that, hung everything that we put into market. It was much harder than a product launch. When we do a product launch, you can see the answers. You see the product roadmap. You know where it's going. It's a bit more straightforward and clear of the story you tell, the value props, Upleveling your positioning and launching this new vision was harder, but that also made it more satisfying when we put it into market. We put together this story, we shot this keynote, we have a new homepage, we have ads, we have emails, we have video assets on YouTube, all over social. And that was exciting, especially since i have been at the company since the beginning to see us start to become more visionary and more forward looking with the story that we're telling was fun. And it had a lot of healthy debate. What are the words we use? How do we visualize this? Is this right? Is that right? Hours and hours of us sitting in a virtual room with our CEO and our product marketer and our content marketer, developing this new narrative months and months actually before sitting down with our founders and with our leadership team and interviewing them about the future of the company and where they see it going. And then from all of those months of discussions, we've packaged up a clear, compelling narrative and presented it to the world in a way that I'm really proud of. And so that was fun because I had to stretch some creative muscles that I hadn't stretched in a while because it was such a bigger story than any other product launch that we've done. And then we also recently launched a Qualified Advantage campaign. How are we different from the competition? Why do you win if you choose our product? And we came up with some some clever things that we put into market that all tied around this larger landing page that told the story of why choose Qualified. It was validated by a bunch of customer reviews and raving fans. We got creative with direct mail about how you can come away to Qualified and how you can join us. And we sent some away suitcases to tell people to like, come join the qualified team. So that was fun because that was clever. I feel like now that we've done a lot of the foundational campaigns, we can start to go to the next level with visionary campaigns, with our advantage campaign, and those all involve a little bit more creativity. We love a launch. We love a reason to talk about something. It shows momentum. It shows innovation. It shows velocity. So I love working towards a launch date and having everybody marching towards the same goals and going to market with a big story, a big announcement, that's how you create a brand. That's how you seem big and exciting and innovative. So we really pride ourselves on big launches, big campaigns that have all of the things, if you will.
1: Worst campaign? And it doesn't have to be a qualified one. It can be previously in your career.
2: Worst campaign? I feel like we've had some event flops in the past at past companies where you actually have one. I don't know if it's a campaign per se, but it's an event. We were going to do like a happy hour for customers and prospects. And it was after a big event that day. We were going to kind of cap off the day with an event hosted by our company at one of our past companies. And it was crickets. It was a bunch of no-shows. It was snowy in New York. We had the bar paid for, we had the food paid for, and it was a flop. And we blamed some of the external circumstances. We thought people would, were probably tired from the full event they were at that day. But that is a, a memory of a room full of not a lot of people that I'll never forget. But you learn. We took it to our next one. And we thought, okay, how do we guarantee more attendance? How do we get people on the hook? How can we rethink the timing in the venue of the event? And then while we were there, we just tried to enjoy our fair share of the food and drink that we had already paid for. So, but it was a lesson learned and I'll never forget that.
1: I got to ask, we just launched inside the Ohana and we have another show coming, which I've sort of teased on the show, but I haven't really fully went into it yet. And I'm curious, like why have different shows? Why is that something that's important?
2: Yeah, for us, they serve different audiences and it allows us to build out content that maps, maps back to our different personas. For us, we've talked about this marketing persona. DGV is money for that. Demand Gen Visionaries, people tune in. They want to hear how their peers are doing their jobs. I like it too because it helps you get outside of yourself and your network. I feel like we all have our little communities and we do things the same way. And I love Demand Gen Visionaries because I'm hearing from these folks who I've never met in real life, but they challenge my train of thinking and they make me think a different way. But then for us, we have different personas. So we have this Signals product that's more of a RevOps Audience, and we want to create thought leadership content that helps RevOps professionals be better at their jobs. And a RevOps person isn't going to be better at their job by listening to demand gen visionaries. Maybe they'll learn some things about marketing, but it's not tailored for them. I'd rather try and be Something to someone than everything to everyone. So I like the focused approach we can take with the, these kind of original content series. And then for us, we have this tertiary audience, which is the Salesforce ecosystem. Because we're purpose built for Salesforce customers, our founders all worked at Salesforce, our team is Salesforce certified. We were like, how can we create a show that's geared towards the incredible community that Salesforce has built. And so the guests on the show will be Salesforce executives, Salesforce alumni, leaders of Salesforce ISVs. It will be trailblazers talking about this incredible ecosystem that Salesforce has built. And for us, we're always attached at the hip for Salesforce. So it helps us just connect with that audience and keep the thought leadership conversation going around that incredible trailblazer ecosystem. So each show has a different... Different segments, different audiences, different takeaways. And I don't want to do one big show that tries to do all of those things at the same time because I think it will fall flat. So how do you create really like curated content for your different personas? And then we'll want to push it out to them in different ways. So it's discoverable for one audience and it's elevated for one audience and less so for the other. So it's, I think, a good problem to have to have too much content. We can then also figure out how to make it bite-sized, how to repurpose it, how to make it evergreen so I'm, I'm super excited that we're going to have three shows.
1: Yeah, I think that marketing is going towards like the sharpest B2B marketing teams are going to have a portfolio approach. And I think that that's always how we viewed marketing, but we didn't view content as a portfolio approach. Like, okay, we're, if we have 700 articles on the website that there's 50 on this, 15 on this, this idea that like standalone shows can be literally standalone I think is something that's like really new and exciting and i think that what you all are doing is really cool in that way
2: well ditto you're a huge part of it so thank you all
1: right let's get to the dust up
0: uh-oh here comes trouble
2: you may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly and now we've got a
0: wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place and it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks
1: This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else, even Craig. Uh, Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, sales and marketing is always the dust-up, right? I mean, that's not necessarily true, but how can you keep your marketing leadership and your sales leadership aligned? I feel lucky that we have a great CRO here, and I feel like he and I are in lockstep, But I've been at past companies where that is not the case. Sales wants pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. They think it comes out of nowhere. And marketing knows the ins and outs of how you generate quality pipeline, what channels it comes from. They know that it's a longer game, things like inbound or events. It's kind of a long tail there. It's not quick twitch. You can't pour money into it and expect pipeline to come out the other end. I'm trying to think. Not many desktops with Craig. He and I have worked together for 12 years, my CEO at Four different companies. So I love being able to work with somebody or a team of people for a long time because we can anticipate what the other person is thinking. We feel comfortable challenging each other, knowing that we're all friends, but we're trying to create the best product possible. And so that's something that's really unique is how long our core team has worked together. But I think it works because there is just this ease of working with one another that I I really value. So yeah, I wish I had a spicier story for you than that.
1: Oh, that's all right. There's not a lot of spicy stories for you. Unfortunately, you're, you're, you're far too good at your job and far too nice. Let's get to quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody if you go to qualified.com. Qualified is the best, as you know, Maura, because you're our best friends. And our listeners can go to qualified.com to learn more. You can chat with somebody today, learn about all the cool stuff that we've talked about. The Pipeline Cloud is here. Just go check it out. Go to qualified.com. Quick hits. Maura, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one. Ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Number one. If you weren't in marketing or business at all, what would you be doing?
2: I'd be a teacher. I... Love kids. And I always thought I could go one of two ways, which is like try and be a CMO or be a teacher. I have two young kids at home, so they keep me plenty busy. And I actually don't know if I would truly have the patience to be a teacher. I think it'd be much harder than my job. But that's always been where my head's been at.
1: What subject and what grade?
2: I would teach art for second graders.
1: Oh, that's pretty good. What's a non-marketing hobby That makes you a better marketer?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that being a mom makes me a better marketer because I have learned how to delegate. I have learned how to be creative. I have learned how to deal with different personalities. And I think I also am calmer because I can't be caught up in the stress and the chaos all the time because... Being a CMO and being a mom of two young boys, you just have to be calm or else everything will crumble. So I think that's made me a better marketer because I've learned to not sweat the small stuff and just try and focus on big picture success.
1: Yeah, keep calm and carry on is quite literally the motto for the uh, mom-CMO hybrid. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their demand strategy?
2: I come up from a product marketing, customer marketing Background and Demand Gen was newer to me when I joined Qualified. Since I was marketer one at the beginning many years ago, I had to figure out Demand Gen as I went. I was getting our ad campaigns stood up, I was getting our Salesforce dashboards built. And I'm so glad I had that experience because I learned so much and have so much respect for anybody who has that as their day to day job. I would say to start small and test different channels, don't go all in on one channel at the beginning figure out what works from a channel perspective, from a paid perspective, and kind of start to turn the dials slowly so that you can evolve and not be committed just to one direction from a demand gen perspective. So that would be my advice.
1: Favorite book, TV show, podcast, something like that. Other than demand gen (laughs)
2: visionaries. (laughs) My favorite podcast, I listen to The Daily often. I listen to Armchair Expert often. In terms of TV shows, I can't look away from all the Silicon Valley shows happening right now about the downfall and uprisings of different companies. So that's been what's kind of been occupying me as of late, a well-rounded mix, if you will.
1: Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. It's obviously just so great to, to finally have you on the show. Now we got to bring you back after we hear all the cool stuff coming out about this pipeline campaign. We got tons and tons of stuff qualified stuff coming out in the uh, not too distant future any final thoughts anything to plug
2: no just check out qualified you guys do a lot of that advertising for us so thank you (laughs) ian it was really fun to be here i'm so proud of this show you've helped create and it was fun to be on the other side i can't believe how much this show has grown since it was just an idea a few short years ago so thank you for all of the work you pour into it
1: and thank you. Truly, we could never have done any of this without you. But you're an awesome partner. And it's been quite the journey and m- many more miles to go. Maura,
0: thanks again. And we will talk soon.
2: See you next time.
0: The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.